Hey, this is Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Up on theringer.com this week, we've posted our streaming recommendations for the month of September, updated our 50 best superhero movies of all time list, and make sure to check out our Stephen King coverage by Ben Lindbergh on the site and on the Big Picture podcast. On the sports side, our NFL experts are giving their predictions for the season, the storylines they're most excited about, and finalizing their rankings of the top 150 fantasy players of 2019. You can check it out on theringer.com. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's episode of The Watch. Bit of a wild one today. So I call Andy in New Mexico on the set of Briar Patch, and Andy happened to be sitting with two of his Briar Patch co-stars, Kim Dickens, who you obviously know from Treme and Fear of the Walking Dead and Deadwood and Gone Girl. She's hanging out. And also Jay Ferguson, who you may remember from Mad Men and who's uh, one of the stars of Andy's show. So Jay and Kim were hanging out with Andy on the set. They jumped on briefly on speakerphone, so apologies to anyone who that audio fidelity didn't quite meet their Brian Wilson-esque standards. Jay is a avowed Dallas Cowboys fan, and I, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, immediately started talking shit to him. So thank you to him for putting up with me. And then Kim talked a little bit about working with David Fincher. And then Greenwald jumped on. And, you know, I think for core watch listeners, this is a good conversation but we basically did a line-by-line breakdown of Katie Couric's Grub Street Diet from New York Magazine. Is it the most popular content we could have made today? No. Is it the most authentic to us? Yes. So we talked about the Katie Couric thing for a while, and then we talked about Apple canceling its first show. Where it canceled, put it in turnaround. It's not going to put up. It's a show called Bastards with Richard Gere, and it's not going to be on Apple. And you know, Apple's not even up yet, but they're already getting rid of some stuff. So we talked a little bit about that. Then I was joined by Juliette Littman, and we talked about forwardings and a funeral, succession, summer TV, what we're looking for from summer TV, and just like a kind of like spun through a bunch of different shows, Good Fight, The Boys. So really fun conversation with Juliette. A couple of really interesting ideas came out of that one. So thanks for listening to The Watch. We'll be back on Monday. We'll have the audio from Number One Boys with Jason Concepcion and I talking about Succession Episode 5. I'll have something else on Monday. And then Tuesday, I'm actually going to New Mexico to visit Andy on the set of Briar Patch, and we'll record a pod from there and put that up on Thursday. So a really cool week of pods coming next week. Hope everybody has a nice weekend. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line from New Mexico, rushing me through my intro, it's Andy Greenwald! First of all, welcome to New Mexico. I've got two guests here. I've got two special guests here. What? I've got, we've got, we've got makeup artist Taylor coming. Uh-huh. You're, you're not going to see it. I'll make sure I hide it. This is podcast debut of Jay Ferguson, who's here. Yes, I'm here. Jay, what's up, man? Congratulations on seven years of Ezekiel Elliott. You guys must be so happy. You went right at it. Thanks, buddy. And I'm so glad that you jumped right into it like gangbusters. I've got charts and graphs ready for that ass whenever you are. So, no, I know that running backs age well. That's what the NFL has told us. So you really want to get a guy when he's in his 30s and all the partying is behind him, and that's when he can really be serious about exploding out of the backfield. Right, right, like uh, like uh, Brian Westbrook or a uh, Shady McCoy, somebody like that. That's right. Jay, thank you so much for joining the watch today. Andy, what's going on down there? We also have Saints fan Kim Dickens here. What you got for me? Oh my God, nothing. I'm just in awe of uh, of of, the, of their offense. I'm not stepping near the Saints. Also, New Orleans fans are very, very touchy. 
Well, the danger, <laughs> the, the danger of impromptu podcasts is that both these fine actors are being called to set I, by Paul. I don't think she needs to I, go. I, I, I don't think it's an intro. Yeah, I think. I think. Oh, so Kim can hang out with me. I am a second. This all plays well on the live podcast, right? This Joe? is fantastic yeah. stuff. <laughs> Great. <laughs> this is gold. What, Andy? What is like? What is the banter on the set right now? What do you guys like talk about in between takes? What do we talk about? These guys. So today is the day. Uh, I love. I bet the fidelity is great on the speakerphone too. So today is the day. Is this the first day, Kim? Just like my interview mode. Yeah, I'm. Sta- you have to understand. Kim is resting in a beautiful gazebo. I'm standing over her like a total weirdo. <laughs> like a talk show. Okay, I'll sit on a talk show. Today might be the first day that you, Rosario, and Jay. I don't want to spoilers, but. Is this the first time you've just had a whole day, just the three of you? It is the first time that we've done um, just the, the three of us in a scene. I think it is. Yeah, and it's it's actually a really electric chemistry. I might I might add we had we've had the giggles a couple of times. This is a thruple I am shipping. <laughs> is that the correct TV fandom way to say it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Greenwald, did you and mess up by not writing more scenes for the three of them? Is that where you're going at? Is that where you're leading with this? The stakes are made. The stakes The beauty of Kim is that she's been telling me that since day one. Yeah. So there have been, including including day she agreed to do this. Um, Chris, what's going on there, man? No, what do you got for not it? a ton. I had like a couple of like pop culture news items to bring up to you. I get the feeling like you're not watching a lot of stuff, less than usual. I told Chris this the other day that I watched the first episode of Mindhunter with my wife. Uh-huh. Oh, you did, and I and I fell asleep. Yeah, because I not because it wasn't good, but because I'm 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 tired. Yeah, you're really tired. Do you watch things when you're paced. upset? It's nicely, uh, slowly paced. Yeah, I was. I saw. I crammed the whole of Mindhunter season two. You oh, did, amazing. Oh, yeah. Kim, did you like it? I love it. In fact, I would finish an episode and go back and rewatch it because all because I'm watching it in my. Albuquerque apartment TV. Maybe it's not as good as my situation at home. So I have to like, really, can I hear it? Make sure I hear everything and see everything. Because, you know, I, I'm a venture fan, obviously. Yeah. But, but I, I just like to just go deep. I go deep. So do you, can you watch Mindhunter and see like people's eye twitches and tell that they're having Fincher multiple take post-traumatic stress disorder? <laughs> it's not like that, Chris. <laughs> Let's see how, how to describe those multiple takes. They sort of break you down. You go through the whole day. You get to your hotel room. You feel defeated. You, you meet all, with all the other actors in the hotel, lick your wounds, and then you can't wait to go back the next day. That's so amazing. He makes you be your best. He makes you be your best. Andy, do you, are, you, are you getting those kinds of performances out of people, man? I mean, let's make it easier. What ways am I not like David? <laughs> I feel like there's just a bigger list. We're we're getting them in two or three. We're just throwing down the middle. That's right. You're like we're Eastwood. Just always throwing down the middle. <laughs> what? I'm like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. That's lunch, yes, baby. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we make all our meals on time. That's the important thing. <laughs> one here, one there. <laughs> I can't believe that at the end of a long day at work, you're ready to just tuck into some mind hunter. Oh yeah, it's delicious. It's scary too. That's unbelievable. Kim, are you watching anything else right now? Me, um. I think that was it. That's it. Are you guys up on Succession yet? Andy, did you catch up? I haven't even caught up, buddy. Like, this is my lowest point as a pop culture podcaster. I, I, I've, I've watched nothing. I can contribute nothing. And in fact, once we let Kim go back to her, her day, I think what we're going to talk about is uh, uh, Katie Couric's Grub Street Diet. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. It's Katie Couric kept a diary of what she ate every day for a week in the Hamptons. And I just want to be Katie Couric. Wow, yeah. 
New York Magazine does these things. They do these Grub Street diets. Andy actually has done one of these before, which is actually the most engaged I've ever seen Andy professionally with an endeavor is when he did this. I know that he has his own TV show now, but I've never seen him more committed to an act of creation than, than his Grub Street diet. And But Katie Couric wow. is, is an all-time Hall of Famer. Because you really can tell a lot about someone by what they eat all week. It's okay. actually like the biggest window into their lives. Okay. And Katie Couric's Life of Leisure and Vodka Martinis and Tomato Sandwiches just sounds fantastic. Wow. <laughs> wow. Every morning, her husband goes and gets her a latte and a muffin. And then she picks a tomato from her garden and eats it. Like, it's just... You know what? She knows how to live. I know. What are we doing here? Yeah, what are we doing? What are we doing in this gazebo? <laughs> I'm like... Grounded for a new Gatorade somewhere. <laughs> Gatorade There's someone who will get you one. <laughs> Speaking of, Paul, so wait, Chris, Paul is coming to fetch Kim away. Kim, thank you for doing okay, this podcast pleasure. with us. Kim, thanks for coming on the watch. I'm going to move to a different location. Okay. Sorry about that. All right, Andy's back. So, you know, I know that you were playing it cool for Kim Dickens, but yeah. I think that if we're not going to talk about TV, and, and I have Juliette Lemon coming on in a couple minutes, and she and I are going to talk about TV, I have to turn to other people in my life to actually talk about these shows. But Andy, like, I don't think, I want to give watch listeners an idea of the level of excitement that you and I have. Not, every once in a while, like Andy and I are completely different schedules right now. I'm doing a lot of podcasts. He's obviously making a show. Like when we get home, we're in different zones. So a lot of the times it'll be like, be sure to ask me about like Lana Del Rey or whatever. And he'll just get like no response from me or I'll ask him something and I'll get no <laughs> response from him. Something happened over the weekend though. Yeah, I got a text message from Andy. It was a link to this Katie Kirk piece. This Katie Kirk author. First of all, I've met Katie Kirk. Can I tell you something? What? Dynamite lady. Like, absolutely all-star lady. So I've, like, I was like already like my eyebrow went up when I saw you sent this to me. And you sent it without comment. That's the important thing. is because you fucking know me. And you knew what my response was going to be. Wait, when did you meet Katie Couric? Can oh, we just rewind the tape? There was like a thing a couple years ago. I think I went as an ambassador of The Watch because I went to like some upfronts thing for like a podcast platform and she was launching her podcast. And I went to be like, yeah, you know, The Ringer, we're doing a lot of cool stuff, blah, blah, blah. But she was there. That's amazing. So first of all, the only thing that you've misrepresented in the story is that I did send a comment. And the comment was, it seems like being married to Katie Couric is pretty chill. <laughs> that was the comment. And let me just say another thing. You immediately read this piece. You got fired the F up. And you then texted me a couple other choice quotes from it that yeah. maybe we'll, we can discuss. But I also want to set the context. Again, I just want to thank our longtime listeners for indulging me during this, this, this difficult time of not watching television. It's all right. We don't have any uh, ads really- today. You can just let it rip. <laughs> Great. Can I tell you how I really feel about English muffins? Um, so the moment was so beautiful and so pure on our text message exchange that I screenshotted it because I was actually going to like tweet it like that this is what was coming on the podcast. I didn't do that. What I also didn't do is remember that my iPhoto is mirrored to the iPad that's in my home in Los Angeles. And my wife saw this. And when I was home, she was like, I see that you've been talking about Katie Couric. And not just talking about her, saying it would be chill to be married to her. So, what was her reaction? You know what I did? I owned it. I was like, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about Katie Couric's dream life, in which every morning her husband leaves their palatial Hampton mansion to get her a muffin and a latte. She 
emerges into her garden to pick a warm tomato, sun-kissed from the hot East Coast summer sun, slices it, and makes a sandwich out of it on white bread. And then later that night, Pepperidge she houses, Farm like, white bread spices. with Hellman's mayo. She's so specific. It's, and it's like, yes. it's sort of bougie because you're like, oh, like you went out into your to your garden to get a tomato. Okay. But then she cuts back to the people and she's like, no, Pepperidge Farm, Kenny Power style, slather it with some mayo. Let's go. Tomatoes and rosé summer. And then six hours later, actually, we've lost track of time in the blinding, you know, Orient sun or wherever the hell she is. She then just goes to a casually goes to a fundraiser and pounds Tito's martinis with the Clinton. Like <laughs> it is so adult appropriate lit that I cannot get over this. I cannot get over it. It is a perfect document, and she has moved to the top of my want to hang out with list. So the the best thing about this Grub Street diet, I will I will link to it when we send out this sure to be blockbuster podcast. I'm sure Kaya's updating yeah, her zip recruiter right now. <laughs> so <laughs> the the thing is, is that like Katie Kirk happens upon pretty normal groceries over the course of this diet, yeah. like pretty normal foodstuffs. Yeah. But each of them seem to come with an attendant celebrity recommendation. So it's like she has, uh, I think she has like on like one day she just eats tomatoes or something like that. But she has it right. with Malden salt. And she's like, Bobby oh, Flay yeah. introduced me personally to Malden salt. And I'm yeah. like, I know that Malden salt is somewhat of a, like, Kaya, do you use Malden salt? No, but I've reading. I've been reading a lot about it, and now I'm really intrigued. Okay, but would you necessarily need a like? If I was like, Kai, have you ever had Malden salt? Would you be like, Chris Ryan introduced me to this? It's this every time Kaya removed perfectly browned and crisp chicken thighs from her oven and applied a perfect dusting of finishing salt. She'd be like, Thank God for Chris Ryan. Without Chris Ryan, I would no, not because have. Because if Kaya was listening to me, she would get perfectly grilled chicken thighs and then pour a bottle of Evian on top of it so that she can have water chicken. No, and so I was thinking of what are some things, what are some things that you wish a celebrity would introduce you to? Essentially, so right. my big right. thing is I would love to casually say, Josh Brolin introduced me to this Cholula sauce. I don't know if you know this, Chris. This is actually true, but it was. It was character actor Stephen Tobolowski who first put me onto kombucha. No, not really. Years ago. <laughs> not really. Years ago. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> that's a true Hollywood story. She also, the thing it, about this Katie Kirk Grub Street diet that's been really inspiring is how noncommittal she is on a lot of stuff. So like there's one, mm -hmm. this is an actual quote. This is an actual prose. I'd never had oat milk and a friend of mine was raving about it, so I tried yeah. it. I can't tell yet if I like it. <laughs> There's also, speaking of, yeah, I, I actually am beginning to think, and this is, you know, this is maybe the subject of another blockbuster podcast. I think true success is not necessarily fame or wealth. It's being able to successfully be the straight line mouth emoji yes. on almost every topic. You are allowed and to communicate your actual thought process. And you can just be medium on things because there, there's no power disparity. You know, you don't need something from this person. You're not worried about what they could do to you in the future. And so... I think that I feel this way about, I, I think that Katie Kirk feels this way. She has straight line mouth emoji in this piece about oat milk and about Alec Baldwin, which I think is exactly right. Because she has this whole thing about how she's at some celebrity auction in the Hamptons, right? And they auctioned off lunch with her and Alec Baldwin. And I believe the quote is, and you have that. I do. I just have a gravel, I have a gravel pit in front of me at the moment. Alec is 
What did she say? They're Alex co-hosting a, a, a USTA Foundation dinner at the U.S. Open. Sure. The foundation sure, does incredible does. things by providing kids who may not have access to tennis programs with an opportunity to learn to play and the discipline and structure that comes along with the program. But they also incorporate academics as well. I've been a supporter of this for a number of years, yada, yada, mm. tennis. Alec is always fun, and they raised a lot always of money. Always stop there. <laughs> Alec is always fun. Over the last 25 years, you and I and the rest of America have heard many sentences uttered about Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin is a brilliant actor. Alec Baldwin has an enormous amount of chest hair. Alec Baldwin is rage-punching someone on the freeway in Montauk. Alec Baldwin is the, he's the best heard, Jack Ryan, yeah. I've never heard that this Alec Baldwin is always fun. <laughs> that is so medium that I am just over the mood about it. The it's thing perfect. is, that's only the second best encounter she has in this Grub Street <laughs> diet. Because okay. this is the best one. Quote, for dinner, we went yep. to our friend Andrew and Daniel's lobster feast. They do it every oh summer, God, and it's Daniel. so fun. They set up a table right on the beach. This year, it was super windy and hard to talk and hear, but it was still a really good time, and the food was delicious. Lobster, seared tuna with wasabi, corn salad, potato salad, lots of alcohol. So here's my, here's my mind mm-hmm. vision of this. Mm-hmm. Deafening winds cascading <laughs> off of the raging Atlantic <laughs> as Katie Couric... Stands there with seared tuna, <laughs> tons of salads, apparently, and like a, a liter of alcohol. I brought a plate of desserts and picked at it with Lorraine Bracco, her daughter, and her daughter's husband. They were really nice and interesting. They are staying at Lorraine's but live in Paris. So it was interesting talking about Macron and French politics. These fucking guys are out there talking yellow vests. And they can't hear each other. And Dr. Melfi is standing next to them. I, I'm picturing full Ingmar Bergman seventh seal. <laughs> Gale force wins. Gale force wins. Like the, the, like the dude in the TDK cassette commercial, right? Like the faces of yes. the cast of Apollo 13 when they were on the vomit comet. And they're screaming. Screaming. Macron! About French politics. And here's her adjective of choice. It was really interesting. I love it. I God love it. Be Katie Couric. I love it. You go to, to the. You're going to Cooperstown, way. Katie Couric. I don't have like a ton of other media and uh, TV news to talk about with you. You're obviously not watching a lot, but I was curious whether or not uh, you had seen the news that Apple. Sh- there was an Apple show, an Apple TV Plus show, has yeah, already been canceled. This is a show called um, Bastards. I keep wanting to call it Husbands because I'm like. Oh, they would never have put a show up in the first place called Bastards, but they were going it to. Is and it was it's a show called Bastards. It's adapted from an Israeli show. It was a show run by Howard Gordon, who I believe did Homeland in 24. And it starred Richard Gere. It was an eight-episode series about two friends who served together in the Vietnam War, and then a tragedy strikes, and it changes everything, and they go on a vengeance spree uh, mm-hmm. a- after this tragedy. Apple has canceled the show already. Which is pretty well. I, I, well, okay. So they put it into turnaround or whatever. Like someone else might pick it up because apparently it was a competitive situation where Apple outbid other suitors for it, and the show is owned by Sony TV, so they are free and clear to sell it elsewhere. I but, think. Yeah, the thing I wanted to ask you about is just the the interesting nature of these sort of upstart streaming services deciding tonally 
what they're comfortable yes. with. Because HBO, that, obviously, that, all bets are off. Netflix is pretty free and easy. But, you know, for Disney, who have already branded themselves as a sort of a family-friendly service, and for Apple Plus, who I think are really playing a lot of sides of the fence here, it's kind of interesting to think about something about this show rubbed them the wrong way. Well, I think it's what's free, what's particularly interesting is that the greatest successes critically, and in some some very uh, prominent cases commercially, from this whatever age of TV that we're in, or at least going back to what people called the golden age of TV 10 years ago, came from a combination of electric material, risky material, genre uh, envelope-pushing material, and suitors, in this case by suitors I mean uh, networks or streaming providers, whatever you want to call them, who didn't have anything to lose. So they could take a chance on the script that other people wouldn't. And we've talked about this many times. It's a, not a, it, it's not an obscure story that Breaking Bad and Mad Men were both like top drawer sex scripts, right? Yeah. Like uh, Vince Gilligan and Weiner had TV careers and these were the scripts they carried from job to job to get them jobs, but no one was willing to make them uh, until AMC took a chance on both of them because AMC was a place that showed The Godfather Part Two six times on a Sunday and they needed to make a splash and they needed to be as noisy as possible and they took a big bet on on talent. That has happened again and again. If you think about Amazon, I mean, Amazon doesn't, certainly a successful company without its uh, prime video, but that's the show that made people start paying attention to Amazon critically anyway was Transparent, yeah. the show that arguably might not have been made anywhere else. Similarly, you know, Netflix with Orange is the New Black was the one that kind of really popped on people's radars and surprised people. I would argue more so than House of Cards, which was, you know, a really just big spend to try to impress everyone and blow everyone else out of the water. What we're seeing now with not just established brands, maybe the two biggest established brands in the world, uh, Disney and Apple, entering into this space, they're trying to do things backwards. They're coming in saying, we know our brand and we need content that fits our brand. Right. That means you're going to, you know, obviously for Disney, that means things like shows starring the Avengers, which seems like a pretty safe bet to me. But it also, in the case of Apple, when Apple's saying our brand is kind of, you know, family-friendly uplift, that they're going to be limiting their very highly paid, highly regarded programming heads, uh, the two fellows to run Sony Television, and sort of narrowing the possibilities for it. And you're going to end up with situations like this, where those guys coming from Sony bought a Sony project they must have been intimately involved with with high-profile talent attached behind the camera and Howard Gordon and Warren Light uh, and also Richard Gere. And then there's like, this doesn't fit the mandate. It's, it's very interesting. I don't know what it portends. I don't have an opinion about it. I certainly haven't seen the script, but it's interesting and it's backwards from what we've seen for the last 10 years. Hey, man, don't let anybody ever tell you you don't know what you're talking about with TV anymore. You know that? You it's still got like, it. You still like got if, it. If you poke the bear, something's going to happen. Uh, Andy, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for bringing Jay Ferguson and Kim Dickens on the watch. Uh, <laughs> I so, mean, that was limited. I think that I don't want to blow it, but there's a chance that you might be doing some podcasting from Albuquerque. There's we'll no chance. I bought the happen. ticket, so I'm going to come down to Albuquerque next week. Uh, I'm going to spend the day at the Briar Patch set, and then Andy and I are going to record that night if I can keep him awake. Maybe we'll have some uh, some guests from Briar Patch join us. And we'll have a rollicking podcast. And we'll have that. That'll be up for next Thursday. Next Monday, we'll have a usual succession talk. It was a little awkward just then because, you know, I was trying to grab this guy's set up. Um, all the PAs were like watching us nervously from the house. They were swarming over to grab them away. Just now, I walked around the corner to talk to you and I heard a bellowing behind me. And Jay is saying, that's it? Are you kidding me? That's it? Because <laughs> all he wants to do 
is find someone worthy to shit talk the Eagles with. Because I am, you know this about me, I am so bad at it. Like, I didn't even remember to say that we won a Super Bowl recently. I, I just, I just melt down in the face of Cowboys hatred and he welcomes it. He was born in the dark. No, I can't wait. I, I am setting up GoFundMe pages to pay <sighs> Dak Prescott's contract. I'm like ready for it. So if we get Jay next week, that'll be awesome. Andy, thanks so much for calling in. We'll talk to you. I'll see you next week. I can't wait. I'm going to catch up on Succession. If you are in Toronto this weekend, come see, if you, if you can, please come see the Briar Patch premiere. Uh, we're premiering the first two episodes of the show at Toronto Film Festival on Saturday. I don't know. Tell me what to do in Toronto. I'm just going to try to relive uh, Scott Pilgrim. That's really all I know about <laughs> Toronto. But if anybody has any tips, um, any tips that don't involve referencing a four-bounce basket at the buzzer, because there's been a lot of that, Jesus. and I won't hear it. Don't want to hear about that. Uh, Andy, thanks don't so much for calling it. I'll talk to you soon, man. Great, great job, Brad. Bye. Bye. I'm now joined by Juliet Littman, calling me from New York City. Hi, Juliet. Hi. I just did uh, a, quite frankly, unhinged 15-minute breakdown of Katie Kirk's Grub Street diet with Andy. What the? F- oh, is it? I thought you were gonna say you did it alone, and I was gonna be so pissed. I was like, you knew you were having me on. Why didn't you save that for me? No, I did it with Greenwald because it's literally the only piece of pop culture he's been engaged with in the last three weeks, and it it was like old school Andy. Like he was really into it, but uh, you know, like, but were some of his takes? I guess I have to listen to the pod. I think it was mostly just that we were like, Katie Couric is famous enough to just express no opinion, like just to be like, I don't have an opinion about oat milk yet, and that is considered content. Well. I thought what was kind of amazing was she was trying to be funny. Yeah, let's do part two of this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I really like Katie Kirk. A couple years ago, you and I both went to South by Southwest, and I went to this, like, women's breakfast, and she was one of the speakers. And someone asked her about Matt Lauer's right after Me Too. And she had such a great answer. I've been carrying it around in my notes for a while. And some, and she just basically was like, it's not on me to have to apologize or explain this and, like, don't put it on me. And... I just thought that was dope. And it is also kind of the attitude she brought to her Grub Street diet, which is just like, yeah, I'm doing me and I don't care about anyone else. Yeah. It's like I, I had a tomato sandwich. Kiss my ass. And she was like trying to be funny. And I was just like, Katie Kirk, you're not funny, but that's okay. No one's asking you to be. I don't know. It was a tour de force. I was mostly really concerned, confused. Just got questions about the errands that she's sending her husband on. He's <laughs> That's traveling. right. Yeah. He's it, traveling very far to get her to that bagel. I believe her house is in East Hampton, and I think she sends him to Southampton to get her her Goldberg bagel. And what's the, what's that time spent? Like, how, what are we talking about in terms of, like, getting there? Depends on the day of the week. I mean, it's minimum 20 minutes. Min- bare minimum. I mean, I, could be I a will, lot more. I will do that. Like, if my wife's having a hard day and she's just like, you know what really come in solid is a veggie burger from Cantor's with fries and some— some cookies or something like I'm like I'll go I'll go pick that up it's not a big deal and LA it's like everything is 20 minutes more or less mm-hmm. but okay share her or it's his father <laughs> he does say exactly that okay I'm probably closer <laughs> in age to him than I am Cher Horowitz now. Absolutely, Chris. Uh, um, the reason why so I have a thematic tie-in for all of this alrighty is okay. it women women culture <laughs> La- ladies be eating tomato <laughs> sandwiches no it's summer and kind of like the this sort of like you can kind of like lose your head a little bit and just like everybody kind of has their vacations or is in their own uh, like little bubble for a while and they want to like watching stuff in like a way that I think is purely pleasing like there's not that much 
you can say appointment TV, but there, I don't know if there's a lot of assignment television where you're like, I have to do this. So like Succession's happening now. I think a lot of people we know are watching it, but it's not even a tenth of the size of like Game of Thrones where you feel like you're literally left out of 50% of your conversations if you don't watch it. And so that leaves people to kind of d- to have dalliances with shows that they want. And you and I have both watched Four Weddings and a Funeral. Hell yeah. I woke up this morning and I was like, how do I fit this in before having to leave the house? I fucking love it. (laughs) So for people who haven't watched or watched, but like have only watched an episode or two, why don't you give you the broad strokes of how you're feeling about this show? I would say this show is objectively subpar. It's like not in the top tier of serialized narrative television. Okay. However, it's like, immensely pleasant as you said like there's not a lot to worry about every like 13 minutes of the show there's a reference that I'm just like are there really that many people outside of myself and I guess Mindy Kaling that get this um <laughs> and I just really enjoy it it's purely fantastical there is no no tie to reality whatsoever at all it's only at all it's also like only has like two percent of a commonality with the film Four Weddings and a Funeral and that title and that commonality is the title and like some scenes shot in London. And it's kind of like if Friends was made multicultural, set in London, included like the fact that everyone went to college together, attempted to be witty and quirky and like on trend and also a romantic comedy and failed at most of those while still being an enjoyable watch. Well, that's also the thing is like... Is that a good description? It is because (laughs) it's almost like I feel like I am watching this show from like six years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it almost feels like something that you're like, oh, I don't, there's nothing really to watch. So I'm just going to watch old episodes of Four Weddings and a Funeral, even though it just came on. It feels very like streaming 1.0. Like it's something that like Netflix would have taken a flyer on and you're like, oh, I don't know if the streaming TV things are really going to work out. And it could have been, I don't even think it was in development for that long though, which is the, is the weird thing. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have um, a really clear hook. Like I can't really explain it in a quick manner. Yeah. It's about a group of Americans living in London. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit on the pod before, but like they were, I, I think, think you they, mean you talked about it. Yeah, I did. I mean, I did, I did the Rosillo monologue <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. And there's nine episodes are up now. I have actually finished the season. Uh, thank you to, for screeners. And it's about these I friends. No li- I'm not, not going to spoil anything. These friends living in London, they're American. I, I So you know how like I, I'm anticipating this with a bunch of the shows that are going to come on this fall and like even Succession, even whatever. Like people will have essentially like they'll have like this exacting expectation of like, well, you know, this this part of the show didn't make total sense. Like why didn't they do it this way? Four Weddings and a Funeral so quickly shatters that part of your brain. Like, it's so beyond the pale when it comes to, like, plausibility or whether or not these people would be friends anymore, why they're friends with, like, a reality TV star in the show, why one of them is working for a Tory member of the House of Commons. You know, like, all this stuff where you're just, Who also like, is, like, the first, like, openly gay member of Parliament, like, ever, according to the show. Yeah. In that way, it's very in that way, it's very 90s. And I was reading Wesley Morris's great essay about friends today, and which made me really, like, pine for the days of, like, just an easy watch where it's just, like, we all sit down and we watch this because it's escapist fair. And right. that's that. So do you feel more excited when you have something that's escapist that's purely yours or something that you can share with somebody? 
I want you to guess my answer. Uh, definitely purely yours. <laughs> purely mine. <laughs> I'm not that interested in a conversation. In fact, I feel so much more pressure with The Bachelor being so popular now. I can imagine. There's just like a lot of people talking about it. It's like, it's a lot more pressure. But yeah, I mean, like one of the one of the reasons for weddings and a funeral is fun is like it's so bad, but there's like no one talking about how bad it is, so you just sort of like don't have to acknowledge that it's really. You don't bad. have to you explain know what I mean? it. You don't have to justify it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't need to be like, why am I spending forty seven minutes this morning watching this objectively bad television show with a weirdly super charming cast? I think the best thing about it is the the cast. And very weirdly, I would not include Natalie Emanuel, the star and like probably most famous person from the show. Yes, who also is playing an American, even though she is British yes. and it's set in she, London. Yes, it's so weird. She actually, that that role, so she plays the lead who's named Maya, um, who is uh, like kind of the catalyst for the show. And she was a recast that was originally supposed to be the comedian Jessica Williams. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. What's the story behind that? After Anything? the pilot. I, I, not, I don't know. I just was doing some research into the show and I started watching it. And I will say I started watching it because I uh, like didn't know what to watch. And Amanda Dobbins was like, well, have you tried Four Weddings and a Funeral yet? It's not for me, but I heard that people like it. And then I started like looking into it. And yeah, it was, she, she came in after they shot the pilot. I guess they redid it. Interesting. So one of the things, you know, you are a big champion of the idea of a recast. So like when you yes. get to, if an actor is no longer interested in being on a show, I would, I would be curious to know how, how far you would take your theory. But like, if you like a show and there's like a character. I would take it very far. Yeah. So you would have, or like famously, you would have recast McDreamy, right? Absolutely. Right. I would so much rather McDreamy still be alive than still being like true to the Patrick Dempsey version of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I miss McDreamy like all the time. You're you're not a Patrick Dempsey originalist? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm certainly not. If Darren on Bewitched could be recast, anyone could be recast. I would like to uh, offer a amendment to this bill of television rights that you have. Okay. Okay. Uh, I would be into uh, more of a rep theater style. Like, mm. I think that next season, if they were going to do another Four Weddings and a Funeral, I think mm -hmm. that they should trade roles. Oh, interesting. So there is a, a British character, Gemma. I feel like Natalie Emanuel should just, like, play Gemma. You know what I mean? John Reynolds, totally. John Reynolds should just play Cash. Like, they should just mix it up. They should, like, try that. And I would love to hear if anybody is, like, likes an ensemble show. Hit me up and or hit up the Watch Facebook group and let me know is what's the show that you would love to see? Not a recast, but like literally people playing character musical chairs. It would be so fun with Succession. I mean, oh it would God. just be so much fun. Yes, I mean, can you actually imagine Shiv being Kendall? Oh my God, that'd be incredible. I mean, I would be so happy for uh, Jeremy Armstrong. Jeremy, I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy Strong, Strong, yeah, because he would just get Sorry. to have like like cool outfits and be competent. Yeah. Yeah, and also, like, Matthew McFadden can literally play any part, like, on that show. He could be any character. He happens to be excellent at Tom, but if you know Matthew McFadden, you know that he could he could be Kendall. He could be Roman. Like, he could do anything, and I would love, love to see that happen. Also, like, what if Cousin Greg was a total conniving asshole? Yeah, like, what if, what if Cousin Greg was actually Roman or something? Yeah. They would have to explain how he was, like, he was, like, the size of Joe Johnson, though. And like none of the other Roy kids. Yeah, are. that'd be that'd be confusing. But whatever. Then they just would write in a plot about him having a different mom. No so problem. Is there other private Juliet TV that you want to share with the world? I feel like this just fell out of favor. But my favorite thing that I've watched 
in recent memory is the final season of Orange is the New Black. Why did it fall out of favor? I watched I watched a lot of that too. I including the finale. It was just such like like a in vogue show and like you know when it first came out in like 2013, and then I think it got really super dark, and uh, I stopped. I couldn't I couldn't keep watching, and then I just like wanted to see where things ended up for these characters. You love a finale. I love a finale. I fucking love a finale. And I absolutely loved it. It was so beautiful and devastating and like not for the faint of heart. There's a whole ice immigration. No, dude, like it's not it does not make you feel good to watch this show. No, it was so, so sad. But I think it's like mandatory viewing. It was it was so excellent. I absolutely love that. I also think I'm sure you discuss this a lot, but. I loved years and years. I think that, you know, you asked me earlier today, like, what is, what are you looking for in a TV show right now? I think a lot of it is, like, very familiar, but still, like, far away, which is a place of privilege when it comes to talking about ice that I can, I can say that sure. kind of thing, you know? In terms of its engagement with the real world. Yeah. Okay. And I think that those shows are so startling that in some ways I, like, appreciate how they give a, a depiction and like a, a face to to concepts that I know exist but like can't really conjure on my own like the horrors of deportation and like what our future could hold in like this technological crazy world we live in which is the years and years and I, I think that like when there are like these really like pressing concepts that I can't quite grasp without some kind of like personification I like appreciate it which is one of the reasons I like Orange is the New Black and Years and Years. Um, and I will say that, like, I think I think a lot of comedies have just kind of gone wayward. But like, what do you I, I mean by like, that wayward? Like, this is maybe a bad example, but like, Younger used to be so smart, like uncannily so, and like this season has been so bad. So like, they've like almost like run out of ideas or don't really know how to um, continue to like comment on like publishing and media. I don't know. It just, it just feels like it's like truly lost its way. Like and it's become show, more I, of a soap opera. Yeah, and it's just not that funny, and it's not that smart. I think that I think when you are known for being really smart, and then you stop being that, it's very difficult. It's hard to tell with you because, like, you know, you were like, "I love the boys," but yes, you I did love that as well. You didn't love a show that I thought was literally made in a lab for you, which is Good Fight. Yes, I did not like it that much. Okay, was that because it was a little too close to home? There's no romance in the good fight. And yeah. I really, really need a romance. I like really that's important to me. Well, that's a really and interesting they, point because like they that cut is, that out. Yeah. And that was like such a driving like I don't think it was necessarily my major interest in the good wife, but there was a lot of romance in the good wife. Oh my God. Josh Charles's Will Gardner brought more heat to network television than anyone has since George Clooney as Doug Ross. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> and the good fight just, like, had no interest in that. And, you know, I don't find Trump-related television cathartic. I just find it, like, either too close to home or, like, annoying. And I'm just like, I actually am watching this TV to not think about Tr- Donald Trump. So... I didn't like that they kind of gave over the whole series to Diane being, like, just so tormented by him, which I obviously relate to. Right. But I, I just didn't enjoy it. And also, like, her marriage, I, I on the show, Diane and Kurt. Yeah, Gary Kurt Cole. Is like, yeah. He's a, he's a right-wing um, for ballistics expert who, in the most recent season, hangs out with Don Jr. and Eric Trump. And, <laughs> and I'm just like— I just too on the nose. Not not interested. I don't know. Does and it, also, like, I just need I need a romance. I'm sorry. Do you have the similar feelings about Succession? I think this season of Succession is very good, but my complaint about it, and I swear I like some television without complaint. No, no, no. This is a good candid conversation. I love it. My complaint about it is I feel like the writers are in on the joke. 
Like season season one was amazing and just sort of like different than anything else. Very much because of how it's shot and like the cinematography of it. But the writing is really amazing and smart and acute. And I think episodes two and three of this season, I have felt like they're like a little bit too in on the jokes. And it's like too many one-liners, you know? Instead of being like for every fifth line, it's a great joke. It's like every third line. And it's like a a little bit too much. And, you know, like you got to give the people what what they want. Like Stranger Things... Love that they double down on Steve and Dustin and sort of like putting that group onto their onto themselves in season three. But like I feel like it's almost too much Tom and Greg in season two of Succession. So I guess the real question is, which I had not actually thought of it in these terms, and I certainly have noticed that. I also think that there are moments like, especially in late period Veep, which is another show that I adore, but you can see that like there were 15 jokes on the whiteboard. They used eight of them and four were awesome. And and it's just like a high volume kind of thing. So like when Roman walks into a room in succession and just rattles off like five insults, two might be like the funniest thing you've ever heard, but he's also going to say three other things. The question is, is are you watching succession because it's a comedy or a drama? I'm watching it because it's a comedy. Yeah, I'm watching it because it's a drama. I actually like, I'm just like enormously invested in the Kendall Shiv Logan kind of triangle and and the family drama aspect of it. And the comedy is actually a, an added bonus. I will say, though I watch as a comedy because I love Greg and Tom, I think that Kendall is just like incredible and Jeremy Strong is so good and his coat is so incredible and he looks so good in it. I just I love his outerwear. <laughs> <laughs> this is a show that leans into outerwear and I really appreciate it. But I also think that having Brian Cox be on the show now, like as like an active participant instead of passive, is a little bit less fun. Mm. Like I liked I liked it when he came in off the top rope, obviously at the end of last season. But I think when you have like a looming figure who you see but doesn't really speak, there's like, like a, a power to that, which they kind of gave up by having him um be such a huge presence so far. Yeah. I mean, I I I, I think I go the other way. I think if you're gonna have somebody as good as Brian Cox, you don't want him in a coma. That's fair. Or peeing okay. on rugs the entire show. Like, I, I think it, it's interesting. He at least has, like, an arc. I think it's one thing that they've done really well on this show is given pretty characters who have to live within the boundaries of, like, we need Roman to be like this because Roman is essentially a funny character or we need Kendall to be like this because Kendall is essentially a tragic character. They still give them arcs, which, like, they, that, so that they are different. Like, somebody, I was talking actually with a, a coworker today and they were like, you know, I hadn't, I'd watched a few episodes of Succession this season and kind of didn't get it. I had no idea Kendall had gone through such a huge transformation over the last, yeah, obviously like 14 episodes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. I was watching my mom and she was like, what happened to Kendall? And I was like, he killed someone. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she had like forgotten. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of interesting. I also think that one thing that's, that, Succession really brings into like stark relief for me is that I so frequently don't like main characters, but really like fetishize the recurring roles. Mm-hmm. And that it was that was always true for me with every WB show. And I think that's true with like with an ensemble show, I often like am just way more drawn to the secondary characters because they usually just make a lot out of their more limited screen sure. time. And they get and, to like, do to a that, lot of the fun stuff. Yeah. And like to that extent. When Holly Hunter appeared, like, I mean, it was just exhilarating. And her haircut was so amazing. And I think that's another thing that's, like, the problem with Back to Four Weddings and the Funeral is, like, all of these actors and their roles are, like, a little inert. And that's, like, why the show is bad. If there was a little more, like, pop 
I wouldn't be like, this is an objectively bad show. But for some reason, they, that like ensemble does not sing. And, they, and the when they come together, it's like not exciting. Yeah, it also like, just feels like a lot like they had mixed messaging about like what the show was. Because there are some yeah. scenes that are so like the plot line. Uh, who's the reality TV woman who's like on Love Island? Zara. Zara. Yeah, she's on Love Island. And she's, Craig. No, she's pregnant with Craig. Yeah, yeah like her. those two are like almost in this like really like over the top comedy and then everybody else is kind of in like a sort of glossy mumblecore movie. It's it's yeah. it's really kind of odd in some ways. <laughs> That's a really good point. But every show we've talked about is an ensemble show, you know? Like yeah. even the boys. That's all true. These, they're, these are all ensembles. I love an ensemble. But like you either have magic and when they all come together or it's every storyline. Yeah. yeah. Or every, and that, I mean, I bring it up in every podcast, but that's why ER was so good. It's like the chaos is what drives it and everyone's like in their own drama. Well, that's and also, you get back to the like, I think that in, in when we were growing up, TV was a slightly more passive medium than movies. Movies was a more active, like, I am fully invested in the two hours that I'm watching. And TV was, I'm invested in 20 hours of this, but there are certain people that when they come on screen, I might, I guess, well, when we were growing up, we would look at the newspaper or whatever, but, like, you might not pay as active attention. And that goes in, in even for things in, in Lost and The Wire and Sopranos. Like, people are like, oh, I don't care so much about this plot line. I'm going to, like, talk to my wife for a second. Yeah, totally. And that's when you go for the TSAP. That's right. Juliet, thank you so much for calling into The Watch today. It's always a pleasure Thanks for having me. with you. Honored to be asked. I will see you soon. Just happy to be here. Yeah, see you soon. Bye. 